Hello, and welcome to the Queer Movie Podcast, celebrating the best and worst of LGBTQ plus cinema and uh, web shows, TV, and and the televisions, one glorious genre at a time. I'm Rowan Ellis. And I'm Jessa John. And today we are going to be taking a little bit of a detour off of our main trodden path of cinema to talk about another piece of queer media that recently took the world by storm and that is is the beautiful the wonderful the incredible heartstopper um we actually had quite a few people message specifically to ask us to cover this which is obviously as we said unusual because we normally just do movies but the appetite for this and the think pieces and the uh, emotional uh, reaction has been so strong that i think people are like just do it. Just get, go for it. Just talk about it. We'll, we'll pretend you're the queer TV podcast for today. So, Rowan, you, both, both of us are fans of, of, of Heartstopper, the graphic novels, but Dang also right the TV are. show, of course. Yeah, we've had the privilege, you know Alice a bit better than I do, but we've both had the privilege of interviewing them and working with them. Would you, though, as the, the actual expert and not okay, somebody... my official come, role in this episode... Yeah. Can you please? Can you give us a bit of a like background? Where did Heartstopper come from? This is your bit of the internet. Give us your knowledge. So I will f- say that something that I find just so entertaining is Heartstopper TikTok has like taken over my entire For You page. And so many are just videos of people explaining what order to read all the Heartstopper books in or like how you can read them or what this what audiobook this audio is from or whatever, because it is deceptively complicated, simple, depending on how you look at it. So essentially, there once was a book called Solitaire <laughs> that Alice Oseman wrote. And in it, there are two side characters called Nick and Charlie. The novel was written professionally. Nick and Charlie were two two characters that Alice went, hmm, I'd, you know, maybe quite like to do a story about them, but their story is more of more episodic. It's not really suitable for like a novel. It's more like a webcomic or a TV show, uh, which mm-hmm. is why I think it works so well. And so they were like, hey, cool, I'm going to uh, make this webcomic on the side. It's not going to make any money. It's just a passion project. To practice drawing, I think, was part of it. And not suspecting that it would become an international bestseller Netflix adaptation, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, critically acclaimed. So a lot of people got really into the webcomic, understandably. I actually made friends with Alice by replying every single time that she (laughs) tweeted uh, about a new update of the webcomic with a screen grab, but it would always be a screen grab of whoever's face in the comic looked funniest to me and only their facial features, which when you then blow up into like a full Twitter sized picture is always very funny. Um, <laughs> I had no idea about this. And so a lot of my, a lot of me and Alice's conversation is just me going, what a mood. And it's just Nick doing like a, like a frowny face or something. And that's truly where our friendship began. But basically Alice decided to self publish the book and did a Kickstarter that did tremendously well. This was back in uh, 2018. So in the first 24 hours, it raised over $25,000 and over mm. the course of the campaign over 70,000 uh, and then Alice I think for many weeks and months had just so many boxes of books that she then had to ship <laughs> off herself to all of these people and fulfill all of those uh, orders and then as it was happening or kind of just afterwards uh, an actual legit publisher was like hey can we publish this and Alice I'm sure was like very excited but also like why the fuck did I just do this entire like 
do it like I had a warehouse in my house <laughs> why did why did you have to wait guys and you could have yeah. done this in an actual warehouse this whole time but so Hachette now publishes them in volumes and that same year that the comic kind of was was going through this with her share it also got optioned by seesaw films which is essentially like there's a it's not like oh it's been commissioned like it's definitely going to happen but there is interest in it becoming a tv show and lo and behold it is now on netflix they wanted it i think especially they're they're interested i think a lot of fans of heartstopper will probably be excited about the fact that it seems that netflix is very interested in this what is known i guess in ya as like clean teen Mm. which essentially is kind of funny because it's basically just teen media that can actually be consumed by teenagers so it's not like the euphoria skin sex education like 18 plus rated um it has a lower age rating so you know actual teenagers can watch it and it sounds like this is kind of the start of them investing more in that considering they haven't really had anything of that kind before on their platform Mm -hmm. so yeah essentially alice uh not only was it just like all the rights got sold alice actually wrote the whole show um and was acted as a showrunner uh which i think was a deciding factor in the success of the show. It's so cool. I think that if you'd have taken that to a team of TV writers, if you'd taken it to people outside of kind of Alice's own knowledge of the characters and knowledge of why it was so special and what the fans really loved about it, you could have easily had something that stripped away all of the magic of what kind of these original readers were interested in. Mm -hmm. And luckily that didn't happen. Can you enlighten me... Just for what you what you just said, what was it then that made Nick and Charlie resonate so much with audiences before it became a TV show? So when it was a webcomic and it was self-published books, why did it speak to people so much? And who was really, who was this resonating with? So I think that it is a lot of stuff that was so po- that has been so popular about the show is also popular about the webcomic so it's a reasonably easy read without being too childish um mm-hmm. there are a lot of issues a lot of very intense issues around mental health eating disorders um self-harm things like that within the original novel in terms of like oh this is the the original novel uh, solitaire is from charlie's sister tori's point of view and so you kind of see his struggles through her eyes and so there's a very deliberate decision within Heartstopper to have a more lighthearted tone. And so although that character still goes through those struggles, it's not on page, as it were. It's not on screen. It's talked about in a way that feels like, I think, a really good balance of, hey, this these are issues that can definitely affect young people and definitely affect teenagers. But it doesn't necessarily mean we have to dwell in it on page and be talking about it in that much detail. It's much more interested in the experience around it of recovery of relapse of support networks of like all of that kind of stuff rather than the suffering itself and I think that a lot of people found that really exciting to have something that felt like it was going to be gentle it was going to be happy especially as a queer story that it had this really lovely ensemble cast of queer characters which is definitely something I think has been picked up on by Uh, people who have commented on the show because it it functionally is the same as the comic like there are so many shots within the show that are the exact like you could probably Mm -hmm. copy and paste the comic onto them because I mean the comic is essentially a storyboard in a way like it could act as a storyboard almost in that it has these really dynamic images and that could be shots within a tv show or a film and it has 
mainly got dialogue right like that's how a webcomic works which essentially is the same as a tv show script mainly Mm -hmm. having dialogue and then we kind of see the action rather than having it described to us so i think it just makes total sense that that this webcomic has been adapted in this way and i think i'm really excited to see as well like other webcomics which is because it's had such a strong tradition of self-publishing has had a lot of queer and underrepresented groups represented by webcomics that that might be something that's getting more more kind of airtime across the board amazing so we're gonna take a quick break and uh, thank our sponsors and our patrons and then we'll come back and i'll explain why i cried every 10 minutes yeah you literally did. literally literally every 10 minutes i got I, I i grew up a little bit in the last uh half of the show but the first four episodes i was a, an absolute mess i mean you did definitely cry in the finale because you texted me about it yeah but multiple times yeah okay uh before we do that we are going to spoil everything watch the show before you listen to this yeah watch the show before you listen to this it's worth it there's your warning okay we'll go to a break now hello dear listener jazza here as i'm sure you're aware we here at the queer movie podcast are members of multitude a collective of wonderful little shows that just want to put cool stuff in your ears and recently we have welcomed a new sibling to the collective and that is games and feelings games and feelings is an advice podcast about games join question keeper eric silver and a revolving cast of guests as we answer your questions at the intersection of fun and humanity seeing as generally you do need other people in order to play games and we're talking every single type of game video games of all stripes tabletop games party games laser tag escape rooms game streams dnd podcast the companies and workers that make these games anything you can think of how do you convince people who have only played monopoly to play the new board game that you grabbed at the game store is an escape room a good third date What makes a video game cosy? And do we have any recommendations? They do, I can tell you now, and they're very good. We answer any and all questions as long as they're games related, and question askers get fun advice nicknames like Rolling Bad from Carlsbad, California, and Bethesda Fan in Bethesda, Maryland. Amazing. If you like what you hear and want to level up your emotional intelligence stat, subscribe now wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes every other Friday. I'm also here to tell you about Squarespace. Squarespace is a controversial theorem in astrophysics that our galaxy doesn't express itself as a spiral, but as a cube. Think Borg cube, but replicated across the entirety of the universe. I am of course kidding, but please appreciate my nerdy joke. Squarespace is obviously that ubiquitous all-in-one platform where you can build a brand and set up a business with your very own website, and they have paid to be mentioned in this here queer movie podcast. Yes, you too can craft your own shop window into your business, project, or general internet presence, and you know who have general internet presences? Myself, Jazza John, and my glamorous co-host, Rowan Ellis. As thriving homosexual internet personalities, we love the fact that you can use Squarespace to not just build a fancy website, but also connect all of your social media in one place, dive deep into your site's analytics, and you can also use it as a way to run your email campaigns because, quite frankly, who can trust any of the algorithms these days? Does that sound good? You can take advantage of an exclusive promotional offer being made available on the Queer Movie Podcast and help support us as well. 
Just go to squarespace.com slash queermovie and when you're set to make all of your digital business dreams come true, you can use the offer code queermovie to save 10 of your earth percentage points off your first purchase of a website or domain. How lovely. You can help us out and make some cool stuff. Who thought that was possible? Well, I did because I wrote the copy of this ad. Remember to go to the squarespace.com slash queermovie and do that. Excellent. Back to the show now. Rowan, are there any reactions to Heartstopper that you take umbrage with? I know you mentioned a couple in your video where some reviewers have suggested it's a bit too sugar sweet. Some reviewers have also said that it's not really for older generations and it's a bit too on the nose for kids it's like a kid's show what do you say to that go on i've teed you up knock them out the park oh god so i would say that individual experiences of media can't really be wrong do you know what i mean like people people have their own experiences and those are all you're so mature however Okay. <laughs> I think that the, the the people that I commented on within my video were not just like random people on Twitter who were saying their opinion about a thing. They were like critics who were exploring it apparently at a, at a more kind of like deeper level and trying to make a comment about like the media landscape and all that kind of stuff as well. And I think that very often queer adults forget what it was like to be a queer teenager or they kind of extrapolate their own experiences now that they are out and more comfortable or in a relationship or whatever it might be and kind of map that situation that they're currently in onto young people and so Mm. they'll be like in their heads like oh I don't need coming out stories anymore therefore coming out stories are not needed anymore Uh and I think that that's not how it works I found that take so weird it's a the thing that's kind of wild about it Jazza is this is a take that has been going on forever like I remember being in conversations with like YA authors like 10 bloody years ago and this question was being asked and and all the queer authors were like no it's obviously still needed and it still is Mm. but it was always this kind of question that people I guess think they should be asking or when people are adults they're like think it's it's some really enlightened thing to not need coming out stories anymore and I'm like Mm -hmm. I don't think that's how it works I don't I still don't know and I've been around for a while and I know some young queer people you know, I'm not like exclusively 30 plus. I don't have a very exclusive friendship group. Everyone still has a coming out story. Mm. And the fact that we are not the default means that we do have to clarify that. And sometimes it and it gets easier, right? I want to come out to Olivia Coleman because that was perfect. It is the, the one of the times that I sobbed. But I find that take so... So strange because um, it's maybe utopian, but it is nowhere near the, the the reality that I don't think we're going to see in our lifetimes. I don't necessarily think that we should go towards that kind of a utopian thing where there isn't a coming out. I would um, argue with the idea of it being utopian because I think that that is viewing coming out as inherently like a traumatic experience. Sure. And I think that it could just as easily be a really celebratory, exciting, fun experience, which is not something that, like we can get to a point in society in which it is not a big deal in terms of it being Mm -hmm. a bad thing, but it can still be a big deal in terms of like, oh, hey, here is a whole culture, a history, an identity that you now fall into. There is new stuff to learn about. There is new experiences to have. There is new like history to learn. Like all of this stuff can be positive. 
it doesn't mean that we have to be like, and no one ever mentions their identity because it doesn't even matter anymore. Because I think people's identities can matter and that's fine. It just doesn't have to be traumatic. It's a very, and not to use all of the, the buzzwords, but it's a very cis, white, het, Western way of viewing identity because when you don't fall into what is seen by the the society as a default, as what is quote-unquote normal, then it is, I think, quite difficult for people to understand why what makes you different is so important to you. Mm. And it's like, well, that shouldn't matter because it doesn't matter to me if I were to say something along those lines. And I know, yeah. like, I still know like straight people, white people, who will talk about, like, racial identity and sex and gender and sexuality in that way. It's like, well, it doesn't matter to me. It's like, yeah, but it matters to to us because mm. it affects the way that we go through the world and being able to understand and to see other people like Nick and Charlie go through the world in a way that is young and innocent and still has trauma still has like bad things but if it ultimately shows like actually a very positive portrayal of kind mm. of like being a queer kid that frankly did I mean the reason that this tugged at my heart so much is just because as an older quip I'm nearly 33 ancient uh, oh I, I'm, <laughs> I'm, ba I'm basically dead uh but I there was there was absolutely nothing like this for me or I think for us mm -hmm. growing up I have seen a lot on gay twitter of the this was my heart stopper I literally just saw one, which was the um, handjob scene from Queer Folk, the North American edition with um, mm. Justin and the random asshole jock in the locker room <laughs> with just this was my heart stopper. Oh and it's the funniest thing in the world because it's just like, God, it was a barren wasteland, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, I, I've also really enjoyed the, the myriad of people who have gone, this was my heart stopper and they've just shown a, a, an opening scene of gay for pay porn. Like it's... <laughs> Amazing. But I, what was what? I, interesting question. What was your heart heartstopper? Um, I did not have a heartstopper. Like I really don't feel like I had any media about girls. Two girls. I feel like the only one that anyone in the UK had was uh, Naomi and Emily in Skins. Maybe mm -hmm. that was. I think like yeah, literally the only one that I can think of that felt like it was like mainstream or whatever. Like I distinctly remember watching queer stuff but it was always like we would re we would like buy the dvds from peccadillo pictures or i would like mm. watch on a pirate site queer as folk way too young to have been watching any of the stuff i was watching oh, absolutely 100. which is yeah. one of the reasons why i'm really excited about this show because it allows like young people to to watch this who aren't technically meant to be like there's a kind of something illicit or something a bit like inherently naughty about being like oh i'm like only this age and i'm watching something that's 18 plus or whatever um mm. And I just like the idea of queer stuff that can just be as like nice and wholesome as they need it to be when they're like 13, 14 and aren't feeling like they're being forced to grow up too soon. And like not to like be very serious on this podcast about this cute little show or anything. Uh -huh. But like I distinctly remember I was involved in a lot of activism around schools when I was slightly younger and at university and stuff. And I remember going to this conference that was about various things but there was a kind of a big theme that year on safety on child safety especially online and there were a lot of 
teachers and people from charities who were really concerned about the fact that they were like, we thought that the big danger for like online predators and stuff or like would be the teen girls. And actually there was this huge issue with gay boys and queer mm. boys who really had nowhere to express themselves to find out about being gay, to understand themselves who were like pretending to be older on dating apps who were like putting themselves in really dangerous situations with guys who had no idea that they weren't 18 or that they were that they functionally were just these kids who had no idea what they were doing and that like has always stayed with me that it's like this lack of information this lack of being able to see yourself in like a sweet wholesome romance with someone your own age and not having to like seek out this knowledge and approval from people who actually know something so you feel some kind of stability can be dangerous it's not just like oh the gays want to have another netflix show like this genuinely is is a, something really important yeah that was that was me mm. like i to, to be a bit funny before i get serious yeah um, i remember flicking through the physical radio times mm-hmm. a magazine that you bought and whenever i saw anything that had gay in the description i'd do everything that i could to watch it mm. i watched netflix and not netflix hollyoaks for a Classic. good a good soap a good, thing yeah a good three months because they had a gay storyline mm-hmm. i I uh, remember doing the classic thing of staying up and going down at like 10 or 11 o'clock so that I could watch like a, a load of experimental films about like gay mm, culture yeah. um, that were like on Channel 4. I remember Quiz uh, Folk as, as well and like hiding that away from things. And that scene, that one scene in Skins where Maxie and tony kiss and i remember uh, just watching that again and again because i had recorded it and that was poultry stuff mm-hmm. i was so desperate as a as a little boy to find anyone like that but even the representation i saw was so everything was clandestine it was underground mm-hmm. it was full of shame yeah and it was a lot of it showed really what is dangerous stuff mm-hmm. And it did push me on to, like, it pu- it pushed me onto forums that I shouldn't have been on. It pushed me into, like, lying about my age and honestly being in, in situations that I shouldn't have been in as a young kid. And I d- had no idea as a young queer boy that any of this could be romantic at all. Mm. All of the gay media that I saw, and I'm speak- speaking about specifically gay media because that's how I identify it was all always centered around sex mm-hmm. and always centered around like the the kisses were always because somebody was horny mm. or it was always like trying to find somebody uh in like the local park or whatever like these are all of the the clips of media that sit in my brain that i remember of that and there was nothing of like falling in love or talking about love mm. at all and that's what happens when queer people don't get to tell our own stories and I, there's a part of me, I don't think I'm angry. I'm just really sad that I didn't have something like Nick and Charlie in front of me as like an option to show that I could, I could fall for somebody who was my age, mm. that I could like have a romance mm. that wasn't so steeped in sex. 
And yeah. sex is great and sex is wonderful, but it was the only option I had. And I think that, like I, like every, like everybody, everyone's fucked up. But I'm like, would I, would I be less, would I be better, like in terms of like the way I approach relationships and mentally, would I be better if I had this? And I think I would. And that's why it like makes me cry. <laughs> that's yeah. why it makes me sad. And like, I remember like the, interestingly, the scene in Heartstopper that really, really made me like I had a, a had to pause it and have a little bit of a break. Wasn't Olivia Coleman, um, even though God, she's the best so woman. good, yeah, so fucking good. And Kit Connor, I've got to say, like such a great. Like I really think they're all amazing, but I think his portrayal was just really fantastic, and that coming out scene was really, really wonderful. The bit that really like shook me was uh, the lesbian couple Darcy and Tara. Uh, kissing in the middle of a dance floor because I remember doing that at a prom and having a bottle thrown at me mm. uh, very different yeah and oh shit yeah I, I like I, I can't believe that that like that like I wish that was an option you know yeah and also Nick I think that that scene is special for so many reasons one because there are so many young people who never got to go and still don't get to go yeah. with the person they really want to go with. Or if they yeah. do, like yourself, there is a danger there. And also the reaction of Nick in that scene, you don't just get people kind of kissing and there's no reaction or people kissing and you're waiting to see the straight people's reaction. It's the important thing is Nick is able to see the possibility of romance, of queer romance himself right in front of him. And you're yeah. kind of almost seeing your own reaction or your own potential reaction when you were that age through him. And that is such a like sweet and beautiful moment. Yeah. Like I did the same thing that Nick did where I like came out to my best friend and then was desperate to know any other gay person. So I came out to the, to the, the one gay kid in mm. my year and my experience was so polar opposite. I was outed by the end of the day mm. and that were like, it's just like, it's almost like a playbook. Yeah, the way that like Tara and Darcy deal with it, all of the the affirmations that they say, you don't have to come out to anybody else when you're not ready. Like Nick is able to do it all on his own. Yeah, and that's the like that would have been great. The the negative reactions that some characters do have in this show, I don't know how you feel about the boys' school stuff, but the girls' school stuff was like so accurate. Like yeah, the very tell me about that. The very insidious like whispers that are too loud to actually be whispers the the posts on social media the like the stares the the stuff that also like that never get at least when I was that age like never got called out by teachers whatsoever Mm. like I had people within classrooms right in front of a teacher talk about being gay as being like oh it wasn't even being gay it was the idea that gay people would be allowed to raise children or adopt children Mm -hmm. was disgusting and the teachers would literally do nothing about it like they would they wouldn't even be like settle down class or anything like that they literally would say Mm -hmm. nothing and that, that was like a legacy of section 28 I have no doubt which for anyone who's who might be listening who doesn't know it was a local governments act in the UK which was in place for many years from the reign of Margaret Thatcher onwards only got repealed in the 2000s which meant that functionally in schools and libraries teachers and librarians uh, were not allowed to talk about 
being queer as well they kind of ended up taking it like we can't we kind of can't talk about it at all in a lot of places was the way that they Mm. they had read it because they feared losing their jobs and it was um a very dark time but what it what it essentially meant was if you went through school during that time you really couldn't find any support you can find any information but also every teacher who was trained during that time would not have had training in how to deal with it which means that afterwards they carried on that same uncertainty that same even if they were someone who maybe wanted to confront it they weren't sure if they were allowed to like I remember being in a school years after it had been repealed and confronting some of these teachers about it when I was in sixth form and I really felt confident in not necessarily my identity, but my feeling that whatever my identity was going to be was fine. Like it didn't, Mm. it didn't matter to me. I didn't think that being gay was something to be ashamed of, but I was really desperately angry for all of the kids who were in younger years than me, who maybe were suffering. I was just so angry about it and so sad about it. And I was like confronting them about this, like, why did you not say anything? And they were like, oh, I don't think, I don't know if we're allowed to. And I said to the head teacher, you know, why don't we have not even like a teacher being out, but just a teacher who we know is safe to go to. And she said, there's no way we can do that because it might promote inappropriate relationships between the teacher and students. As if even being supportive of queer people would mean that you had to be a pedophile or you had to, it would be wrong to to have that conversation about sexuality whatsoever in school. And so it's, it's also like having in this show, like a queer, an openly queer teacher who wears a rainbow pin, being yeah. a safe person to go to. It feels like utopian in a lot of ways, not because everyone is supportive, but because there is a safety net. Like there are no hostile teachers in this show. Everyone is supportive. Mm-hmm. Everyone is, you know, even the teachers who were being teachery and like, you know, taking Elle's phone off her because she's not allowed a, a phone in school are still calling her L and using she, her pronouns, they're not being transphobic. You know, we hear of a transphobic teacher, but it's only as like a one line thing. We never Mm -hmm. actually see them. So we know even if you have these ignorant comments or you have these bullies who are in your life, these characters are ultimately gonna have a support network from everyone who actually has power over them who actually mm-hmm. is able to to change things. Right. Like that was the thing that really that really rocked me was like oh every adult here is supportive. Every adult here like whether it be it a parent or a teacher or whoever is is on the kid's side and wants the best for the kid and like maybe isn't necessarily the most articulate person on the face of the planet but they they've all got their kids back. Mm-hmm. And that's what happens when you don't have these kinds of restrictive laws where you can create a supportive bubble and kids like how I had to don't go into potentially dangerous places to try and find information about themselves mm-hmm. and like this this doesn't come out in a vacuum there's obviously the the US bills that are very similar in style to section 28 being able to talk about gender identity and sexuality and the restrictions of that in the classroom there's obviously in the UK as well specifically conversion therapy for trans people has not been criminalized and the trans I hate calling it the trans debate Mm. but the the what is called the trans debate continues to be at the top of every kind of like headline this is such an antidote to that Mm -hmm. but at the same time isn't creating kind of like this like in the way that sex education does creating this alternative universe where everything is more accepted Mm. but it's I mean I can't imagine the the number of kind of like trans kids and and queer kids who are able to watch this and then 
feel affirmed and see themselves. It's It's been really interesting. I For my video, I went and looked up on social media, like accounts or quotes or conversations around these characters from young people. And they have all been like so into it, which I think is very much proven by the fact that Heartstopper and not just Heartstopper, but the novellas and the novels are sold out everywhere. Mm -hmm. Like they're, the novella Nick and Charlie like it's sold out on Amazon, which is wild. I feel like I never see books sold out on Amazon, mm -hmm. um, let alone in bookshops. Um, and you'll go in and there'll be like one book left on the shelf, which is so exciting to see so many people getting so kind of into these characters, into these books and wanting more of that kind of wholesomeness and wanting to know what happens. And, and also so many comments from them wanting to know if it ends happily, like really that being a key question of, of this is so exciting and we love this and we're we're so happy about how wholesome it is but like they stay together right like they don't like this is going to be fine right and i think that uh. the like alice's alice's openness like alice has mm. not made any secret on social on the comments on this webcomic that it ends happily like that has never been in question i remember i got to interview them on their book tour mm. and that was like the number one question <laughs> yeah it always come up like, this is gonna be fine right and alice never gave like a straight answer which is now it's happy gang well well alice has written stuff um in the future now like there's there's mini comics mm -hmm. and there's stuff in the future of nick and charlie when they're adults and they're still together and like they adopt a dog and it's very cute mm. and i think that that's something that people have found really affirming is knowing it's not just like oh i'm gonna get my one like cute romance and then things are going to go downhill. I think though there's been some really interesting commentary from people who felt very similar to us in terms of, mm -hmm. and actually maybe more negatively than us in a weird way in terms of the emotions that it brings out in them about being an older queer person, seeing this for the first time. And I think a lot of people have been experiencing a deep sense of jealousy. I feel a little bit of that too. And a deep sense of like anger and injustice in a way that like, I know a lot of people have felt, felt very, I mean, depressed is obviously quite a strong word, but there's not really another word for the way that some people have been talking about this because it, mm. it, it feels like grief to some people. It feels like a sense of mourning what they never had, a sense mm. of like time wasted and lost, a sense of injustice, like all of these things, because it is this real encompassing of not just seeing it on screen, but seeing the, the idea of it being a possibility and knowing that there were you know, it's often talked about the idea that queer people go through their teens in their 20s or sometimes even later because we don't have the luxury of like, or, you know, we didn't have the luxury of being able to have all of these milestones that you're meant to have your first kiss, your first time, mm. like your first date, introducing your partner, your like your first boyfriend or girlfriend to your parents, to your rest of your family. The idea of like, oh yeah, from when I was a kid, I knew exactly what my wedding dress was going to be like, or, you know, I know what my kids are gonna be called, like all of this stuff. And especially for us, when we were growing up, like we couldn't get married. Like mm -hmm. the idea of having rights over the guardianship of a child that you hadn't given birth to, or like specifically, like I guess been the, the biological parent of, just wasn't guaranteed. And so I never grew up being like, oh, this is what my wedding is gonna be like. Like there was a girl in my year who went, the rumors were going around about me being gay, was like, oh, but don't you want to like get married? Like, don't you want to wear a beautiful dress on your wedding? And I was like, bitch, yeah, I'd love to, but it's illegal. Like I, that would be great, but it's not actually possible for me. And it's also wild that you, that's not even a thing you've thought about. Like you, you've not even crossed your mind that that one might be an issue. You're just like, oh, can you just like be straight so you can get married? Is that a thing you people can do? Like, 
it's so sad and like I think reflecting on that and ref like being excited for how far we've come but also realizing that that means that when we were younger it was so much worse in so many ways mm -hmm. and having to try and like come to terms with that is like is something pe people are finding really difficult. I remember thinking that gay people or same-sex couples could get married and then kind of like saying that to a teacher before I was out and the teacher laughing at it and me be, like looking up and finding out that oh my god if I'm gay I can't do that because mm. I love the idea of getting married it was before we could in the long before we could in the UK and that really yeah that I mean that is that was grief yeah yeah and something that's also not you're going through these things and simultaneously if you were if you'd discovered something like that that is potentially have that much of a of an effect on your future in another area of your life those teachers would be absolutely see it as their responsibility to help you through that mm -hmm. to explain to give context to see if you needed to see a school counselor to whatever that might be if some if some big like life-shattering revelation had happened if some big moment of like oh my god what what is my future what is whatever like that is a thing that within schools should be supported it should be something that you are given support on and yet we're in a time where not only are we discovering this stuff but we can't our teachers weren't allowed to or didn't feel mm. like they were able to have that and i i truly believe that there's teachers who will have seen these students and just not have been able to help them student i mean like Teachers who were queer themselves are not able to come out. A lot of queer teachers still not able to come out even mm. now because of this stigma around it. And so I think that it's so interesting because we're we're getting it at a time when things aren't perfect, but they're so much better than they were. And I think a lot of people are are really stuck in this strange mess of like, this is realistic for some people, but it's not realistic for others. There's like a huge difference in how people experience life. There are some people who have it way worse than Nick and Charlie. Some people who have it way easier. There's these people who feel like they've missed out on it. There's also a lot of young people who are still in a very, you know, isolated community, for example. Like they're not in one of the big cities or they're in a school that is like very overtly homophobic. They don't see any queer people around them. And they're dealing with the idea of, oh, I know I'm never going to have this. Like mm -hmm. I'm 15 now, I'm at this school for the next three years. People are saying, wait till university, it'll be better when you're able to go and be independent. Mm -hmm. But I'm staring down the barrel of three years of not getting this. So it's not like us where it's like, oh, we didn't have it and that's sad, but now we're here and we can. It's these kids who are like, oh, I know I'm still not gonna get it and I've got to wait for another, however, like that's a huge percentage of their lives. As, as they've only lived so far, yeah. right? Like, and I yeah. think that that's like a fifth of their lives over. And I think that that is also something that I've seen a lot of, which is like absolutely heartbreaking. And I think the only thing that like, that it's so, it feels, makes you feel so powerless because there's so little that individual people can do, except for try and push for that educational change, try and push for the things that have been, people have been fighting for in recent years around comprehensive sex and relationships education, these kind of support networks within schools, um, LGBTQ plus history month and the resources that it provides, not just within the month itself, but also across the entire school year, that there are kind of ways that are like best practices for safe 
adults within schools for people to be able to go to if they feel like they need it more funding for youth groups outside of schools in case people Mm -hmm. feel like it's an unsafe space for them to be you know in a classroom which people might find out is the gay clubs classroom like there's so many things that we can do and I'm hoping kind of piece by piece it will all come together to to make that kind of meaningful change because we need it to happen I agree Thanks for listening, everybody, to a couple of old queers. Couple of old queers. <laughs> oh, you're your gay auntie and uncle. Um, uh, thank you so much for listening to us. How has uh, Heartstopper uh, affected you? Let us know in uh, the social medias. Or if you're part of our community on uh, Discord, um, as part of our patrons, let us know there as well. This obviously isn't what we normally do on the podcast, but if you are listening to this because you kind of are searching desperately for anyone talking about Heartstopper anywhere on the internet, what a relatable thing for you to have been doing uh, Mm. and have come across the podcast, you probably are the kind of person who would like to learn about queer movies, both the ones that are very popular and what we think about them, but also some more niche ones, maybe get some recommendations of Mm -hmm. kind of queer movies that you've never even heard of before. Um, In which case... Feel free to follow the podcast and whatever podcast app you use so that our new episodes can make their way to you. Oh, if you are, if you, this really is the first time you've you've heard us, hello. We have an episode on a movie called Codependent Lesbian Space Alien Seek Same. Great place to start. Obscure as hell. Very obscure. It's great. There's also, if you're, if you're into... <laughs> Did you know that exists? No, no didn't we didn't, so. uh, but we watched <laughs> it. Um, also, if you're into, you know, teen stuff, we have a teen trash episode about GBF. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. We've got a high school-ish type episode, um, kind of, well, high school age characters uh, about But I'm a Cheerleader. There's lots of stuff to explore. Go and have a little look at our backlog. Mm-hmm. Okay. We'll- okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Toodaloo. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. You can follow us on Twitter to keep up to date with everything podcast related. If you feel entertained, please do think about supporting us over on Patreon. Our patrons really do allow us to put in the hours of research and recording that goes into these episodes. So sincerely, thank you. One of our perks on Patreon is a queer movie watch along every last Saturday of the month exclusively for our patrons hosted on our Discord. Gay fun really is had by all, so come join us. The Queer Movie Podcast is edited by Julia Shafini. We're also part of Multitude Productions, so make sure you check out all of their other awesome podcasts full of both fun and frivolity. Make sure you follow and subscribe to this here podcast so that you are primed for our next episode. Thank you very much, my darlings. You will hear us very soon. Toodaloo. Uh, Bye.